Hello, and welcome to the Highly Spirited Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McNew. I love all things boozy and boozy. So this is a show where I bring you some spirit or cocktail history and a ghost or folklore or something supernatural-esque story. So let's get ready to get lit and get scared. Welcome back. And I know we're well into September, and if you're an absolute basic bitch like me, your home is already decked out top to bottom and fall decor. At the time I'm recording, I haven't got Halloween out yet because my husband says I can't put that up till after his birthday, which was this past Wednesday, the 21st. So happy birthday to my husband. Halloween decor is coming out this weekend. I am so excited. (laughs) That being said though, like it's not even cold here yet. Our evenings are cool, of course, but during the day, we're still hitting high 70s, low 80s in the afternoon. Not quite feeling like fall, but I'm ready for it. It's been spooky season since September 1st. Cannot wait to get the to get the decorations out. Let's just celebrate this warm weather we're having with a fun rum drink. Let's close out warm weather with rum. Sounds delicious. And then we'll get into some zombie history. This rum drink and zombies both hail from Haiti, so let's get into it. Let's start with Jacmel itself, a commune in Haiti founded by the Spanish in the early 1500s, then taken over by the French in the late 1600s. It became known as the City of Light in 1925 because it was the first city in the Caribbean to have electricity, and it's conveniently located right across a peninsula from Port-au-Prince. Jacmel features both Spanish and French-influenced architecture and is a bit reminiscent of New Orleans architecture as well. Given its location, it attracts tourists, and we know the Caribbean tourists love rum drinks, so here's a recipe for Jacmel rum punch. It starts with rum barbancourt, a Haitian rum is preferred, but any dark rum will do. Mango rum, rum barbancourt also makes a rum called pango, which is a pineapple mango rum that's perfect for this recipe. You could use any brand of mango rum though if you can't find this. Grand Marnier, pineapple juice, fresh lime juice, Pineapple wedges or mango slices for garnish. Flavored sugar for rim of the glass, optional. Grenadine is also optional. You're going to combine everything except the garnish in a shaker and fill with ice. Shake well and pour into glasses. Garnish with mango slices or pineapple wedges. The mango rum with pineapple juice makes this drink super refreshing, as well as a little extra boozy since there's two two types of rums incorporated. Some recipes call for grenadine with a sugar rim, but those are fully optional if they're not your jam. They might actually make it too sweet. I I don't want something to be too sweet, so I'd probably leave those off myself. Anyways, enjoy this rum drink. Um, enjoy the nice weather if you're still having it, and we will be right back with some zombie stories. What's up, fans and friends of the Highly Spirited Podcast? This is Alan Bishop, the alchemist of Indiana's Black Forest. You might know me from my career in the distilled spirits industry. You might also know that McNew and I have been friends for several years now. I'm a huge fan of the Highly Spirited Podcast, and I know you guys are too. I suspect you might also be interested in what I'm doing over at If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. If you're interested in the 14, cryptids, the unexplained, high strangeness, ghosts, and more, then check out our podcasts wherever you get yours. Apple, Google, Spotify, and Anchor. We're available on pretty much every major platform. 
and be on the lookout because I think that McNew and I, we got a little side project coming up that we think you'll really enjoy. Check it out. And we're back. So I'm going to apologize in advance if you hear something going, that's my cat, that's Phoenix. She's just invasive today and I put her on the floor multiple times. I've kicked her out. She just scratches on the door. So if you hear her, don't mind. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so let's get into it. Zombies are not usually something I'm into. Like, they're just not my jam. I've always said that if there's a zombie apocalypse, go ahead and sacrifice me first. I have no desire to live throughout that. Zombie movies aren't really my thing either. Fleshy, stumbling, smelly, undead creatures rising up to take over the population don't really interest me. Like, not at all. Like, I know people get so obsessed with them. It's just not my thing. Zombieland is the only modern zombie movie that I really thought was enjoyable. And it's kind of like a comedy making fun of zombie movies. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my take. Zombies, though, outside of the movies, originate from the Haitian voodoo culture. Many who practice voodoo, a closed practice, don't fuck with it if it's not for you. And if you have to ask if it's for you, it's not. How to get that disclaimer out, okay? The voodoo practitioners believe people people die in one of two ways, either naturally via sickness or God's will, or unnaturally via murder or in other ways that would that would take someone out before their time. Those who die unnaturally are stuck lingering around their graves, unable to move on which puts their souls at risk for being snatched up by a bokor. And that's spelled B-O-K-O-R, if you're unfamiliar with it. A bokor is a sorcerer who can trap souls in a bottle and force them to do work on his behalf. Some are good and some are bad. A good bokor only takes souls that would prefer not to wait around their graves for all eternity. These souls are happy to be put to work, helping with healing and helping with healing work for others. A bad bokor would capture any lost soul he comes across and have it do his bidding with manual labor or in black magic. The bokor captures the souls in a bottle and manipulates the bottle to cause the undead body to move around fulfilling his desired tasks. The people who believe in these type of zombies don't necessarily fear them, but they fear becoming one themselves if their lives end in an unnatural way. Part of Haitian voodoo culture was very much influenced by the slave trade, the West Africans being shipped over to work the sugarcane plantations. The beliefs merged a bit, and it's believed the modern word zombie comes from the Congo word nzambi, N-Z-A-M-B-I, which means soul. The word then merged to the word zonbi, C-O-N-B-I, as well, which is what the Bokors use. They could all be folklore and legend. Every culture has their own, as we know. Another legend of how zombies may have came to be was bokors concocting so-called zombie powders consisting of herbs, bones, spices, shells, and most importantly, a toxin found in pufferfish called tetrodotoxin, which can cause the human body to become paralyzed and appear not to be breathing. A milder dose of this mixture could cause one to still be able to walk around barely controlling their body with much mental confusion and they would appear to be fairly mindless, stumbling around like the zombies we're familiar with in movies. Like, I kind of picture a drunk person, like, you know, that person that stumbles all over. This little toxin can cause the same effect. <laughs> Higher doses could cause comas, though, leading others to believe the person was dead. Here are two legendary stories of people who were buried alive because they appeared to be dead. One woman was buried in her family's tomb, only to reappear alive three years later. When the tomb was investigated, it only... It was only filled with rocks. 
Not knowing what to do with her, her family had her institutionalized. Another well-known zombie is a man by the name of Clarivius Narcisse. In 1962, Clarivius checked himself into a hospital due to respiratory issues and fell into a coma. Shortly thereafter, he was pronounced dead and was buried, but he didn't stay dead and buried. 18 years later, Clarivius wandered into town and found his sister Angela, insisting that he was her brother. States he was dug out of his grave, then forced to work on a sugar plant on a sugar plantation. She and other townspeople verified that the strange man with a strange story was, in fact, Clarivius. The believed theory is that he was poisoned with the tetrodotoxin, which rendered him paralyzed and unconscious, but still alive then brought back to a conscious but controllable state later with a different serum. He insisted Abokor stole his soul as punishment because he had previously abandoned his children. People fully believed the story because the town very much believed in voodoo practitioners and their powers. Clarivius became known as the man who once was a zombie until his actual death in 1994. So how did we go from voodoo bokors capturing souls in jars and using bodies as slaves to the modern day Hollywood that zombies were most accustomed to? It's really not a far cry, really. The definition of zombie is a reanimated mindless corpse. So not really all that different. So let's go through a brief history of zombie movies and a few of their synopsises. One of the earliest zombie movies was White Zombie from 1932. It features a couple that goes to Haiti to get married, but the bride is to be turned into a zombie by a voodoo priest played by monster movie great Bela Lugosi. There was also a film called I Walked with a Zombie from the 1940s, but the zombie movie genre didn't really take off until George Romero's 1968 mega hit Night of the Living Dead. If you somehow haven't seen it, The Night of the Living Dead features two slowblings visiting their father's grave in rural Pennsylvania when a zombie outbreak occurs. The zombies were reanimated due to radiation from a space probe on its way back to Venus. The film made history, earning more than 250 times its budget in box office sales, becoming one of the most profitable films of its time. It also featured an African-American man in a lead role, which was almost unheard of in the 60s. The film garnered a cult-like following and spawned five official sequels, all directed by Romero as well. So zombie movies still didn't catch on immediately following Night of the Living Dead. The 1980s produced the Evil Dead trilogy and Reanimator. Americans really didn't get into zombie movies again until the early 2000s, mostly following the September 11th attacks in 2001. More zombie movies came out and gained fanfare when their plot was apocalyptic. So we were really in a place of fear and survival as a culture. So preparing for an apocalypse, even if it involved something as unlikely as zombies, brought us together like as a whole. So it's, you know, we saw our world crash down and we just, zombies were a therapy thing, I guess. <laughs> I've even had conversations with friends about what we would do to survive the zombie apocalypse. I personally do not want to live in an inconvenient post-apocalyptic world. Just kill me first, save yourselves, don't care, don't want to be there. If you are interested in protecting yourself from the threat of zombie outbreak, here's a fun article on zombieresearchsociety.com that gives a list of weapons that could potentially be helpful. <laughs> Go check that out, it's so silly. But if you're into that, you might find it helpful, I don't know. Films that revived the zombie genre in the early 2000s were Resident Evil, which was originally a video game turned movie series, House of the Dead, 28 Days Later, which features a virus causing the zombies, and comedy Shaun of the Dead. I also can't not mention the AMC series that also gained itself a cult-like following, The Walking Dead, 
The fan base and merch that show garnered is freaking mind-blowing. They even had a line of wines. So before I sign off today and say goodbye, I just know some of you are going to say, how are you going to talk about zombie movies and not mention the original Frankenstein? It's simple because really Frankenstein's monster is not a zombie. He is not a reanimated corpse because he's not an actual corpse, but he's the sum of the parts of multiple corpses that were animated into their own new being. He also does not carry a virus and cannot turn living humans into a zombie or into a creature like himself either. So there you have it. Frankenstein is not a zombie, just a monster. And that's going to wrap up. I'll see you guys next week with a brand new episode. Until then, give us a like and review. Follow us on Instagram at Highly Spirited Podcast. Bye.